All right, guys. So if you guys want to go ahead, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today. We're going to be doing a whole three verses. So it's going to be, it's going to be intense. 1 through 3, 1 Corinthians 13. So let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for just this section that you give us, Lord. Um, just that we get to study the most excellent way. We get to study your body and how it works and how you intended it to work, Lord. And we get to study just how we act and react to your truth, Lord. And I pray that you would just be with us. That you would open our hearts. you open our minds, Lord, our ears to what your spirit has to say to us today. I pray that you would anoint me and use me as your mouthpiece, Lord. Just to speak to your children, just to proclaim truths that we need, Lord, and um, individually and as a whole. I pray that you just come upon us and that your name will be glorified and exalted above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, guys, so last week we learned the message was be somebody, right? So we were learning about the body of Christ and how that relates to us. So we learned that we are all a member of the body of Christ. So we are all designed specifically. We're created in God's image and his likeness. We have talents. We have gifts that we've been studying the last few weeks that are designed to support each other, to benefit each other, to benefit God's church. We learn that no one person is better than anyone else in the church body based on their gifts, based on their talents, that all are equally important. Because without one member, we learn that you know, our body wouldn't function the way that it needs to function, just much like our body. Without our foot, we wouldn't be able to walk very well. Without our hand, we wouldn't be able to type. Without our eyes, we wouldn't be able to see. So we're all a part of the body for a specific reason. As we learned in verses 29 through 30, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues and do all interpret? So we learned that not everybody is bestowed upon every spiritual gift, right? So that's what's so special about it. We learned that if we were all just a big eyeball, it wouldn't work very well because that's not the way the body is designed, right? If, if we were all just one gift, it wouldn't function properly. There'd be no need for the other members, and that's not how God designed it. And that's how the Church of Corinth thought, right? They thought they had it all figured out. They thought that they alone were the sole church because they were so gifted, and they were extremely gifted, very gifted church. If you wanted to go see healings, if you wanted to go hear tongues, if you wanted to see miracles, demons cast out, you should go to the church of Corinth. Because that's where it was going on. It was out of order. It was crazy, but it was happening. The gifts were being exercised. So you wanted to see those things, just head on down to Corinth. But we saw in verse 31, as Paul says, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a more excellent way than the spiritual gifts. Right? Because you have to remember, they're just gifts. They're given to us freely from God. We have to accept them. So to boast in them, we shouldn't be doing that. So let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible says, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, 
And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So we look at this section, we see what the most excellent way is. The most excellent way is love. So God is saying love is more excellent than all of these gifts, the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of tongues, the gifts of healing, the gifts of knowledge, wisdom, discernment. Love trumps all of them. But before we get into that, we need to understand what love is. Because love has a distorted perception in our society. It's not one cookie-cutter kind of love that our world tries to make you think it is. So we'll run through some of these types of love that's mentioned in the Bible. First one, eros, which isn't actually mentioned in the Bible, but it's the passionate love, eros, which we get our word erotic from. It's passionate. It's very emotional. Right? And that just, that's not only sex. Sex is not the only thing that's eros. It's a passion. You can be passionate about sports. You can be passionate about art. You can be emotional about music. My generation, I've noticed, is very eros, very passionate about music. I meet kids all the time. They're like, man, music's just my life. I just, oh, I would die without it. It's like, whoa, that's a little too much. That's not what it was designed to be. We can get enjoyment from music, right? But it shouldn't be the sole purpose of our life. It's a little scary. Then we have phileo, where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Right? So that's the love you have for your brothers and your sisters, your friends, right? Those people that are close to you. We have storgi, which is a love that family members that I have for my son and my wife and siblings have for one another. And then what Paul is mentioning in these three verses is agape. I'm sure most of you have heard agape, right? So it's unconditional love, the love of God. Most of us, probably all of us, can't really comprehend this notion of an unconditional love because our love is conditional. As hard as you want to fight it and say, no, I have unconditional love, you're incapable of it because it's the love of God. And 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. And he who does not know God does not know love. So that's the love the world does not know. The world knows phileo, eros, storgi, but it does not know God necessarily. They're wrapped up in those and they're missing the point, the perfect love. So one of my favorite things to do with this section, chapter 13, is interchange the word love and God, because 1 John 4, 8 lets me do that. It tells me I can do that. So let's reread that again. <clears throat> chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not God, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not God, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not God, it profits me nothing. So what Paul is hinting to here to the church of Corinth is that they're not a godly church. They're not a loving church. Yes, they're extremely gifted. It's awesome. But they're not godly. And as we learned the last few weeks, your spirituality and your walk with God is not directly related to your gifts. It's separate. That is not a determining factor. And again, he's not saying that these people in this church of Corinth, or people in our churches, are not emotional people. They're not loving people. They don't love their family or their friends, and they don't have passions. He's not saying that. He's saying this church has lost the love 
that God wanted to display to his church throughout the body, to display to his people from his church. That light that we're supposed to be set on a hill has, has been dimmed. 1 John three sixteen through 18 says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongues, but in actions and in truth, right? So this, this church of Corinth and many churches now are, just, are not displaying that. They're shutting people out because people in this church of Corinth were not as gifted as others. They were shutting them out. They were cutting them off from being involved in the church because they didn't have a certain amount of money and weren't giving a certain amount to the church. They were cutting them off, separating them. That's not godly. That's not the action that we should be showing each other. Just because other people are less fortunate than us or more fortunate or more gifted or less gifted, that's not the, the, the love that God had intended. But how many people have we shut out in our lives when you really think about it? I think about my cell phone. I got about four or five people on my cell phone that I've shut out that I haven't talked to in four or five, 10, 15 years because they did something wrong to me. Does God do that to us? Time and time again, we fall short. We turn our back on God. He doesn't shut us off. He doesn't delete our contact in his cell phone. He's always there waiting for the call. Right? So just something to think about. And this is what the church did and what many churches are doing. We try to make up for the lack of love, the lack of God in our lives with our spiritual gifts, with our works, by trying to show how spiritual we are through those gifts. So as you see here in verse 1, Though I speak with tongues and of men of angels, but have not love, I have become like a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So have you ever met someone like this or seen someone like this? I see it a lot on TV, some of these megachurches. You know, not that all megachurches are bad, they're not, but I see it a lot, and I hear it a lot on the radio. These people that just have that charisma, they have that it factor, like you're just drawn into what they're saying. They have that, that gift to be able to speak eloquently and just persuade you and just get you motivated make you feel successful. They just have that it factor. They know how to push that hot button to get you emotionally connected to what they're saying. But you'll notice if you're sound in the spirit and you have that discerning gift, you'll notice after about five, ten minutes, like, "Uh uh-uh, this this isn't right. That's not the God I serve. That's not what my God's about. So you can tell right away that it ain't right. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He can recognize it. And more importantly, God can recognize it in our church and in our world. Those people, Revelation 19, 12 says, his eyes were like a flame of fire, referencing Jesus. His eyes are like a flame of fire. So that means he can see into your hearts. He can see your desires. He can see what your motives are. So these people are out there giving these motivational speeches, these motivational sermons that are leaving out Bible verses and just taking advantage of the sheep, of God's flock. It's terrible. It breaks my heart. But God can see through that. He can see that these people are just selfish and they want their own gain financially or other reasons. God doesn't care what you say if it's with a heart that opposes the truth, if your life is not in line with what you're teaching. 
Right? You can come to church and you can talk to people and preach one thing, then you go into the world and you live completely opposite. God can see right through that. You can fool every single person on the world and it doesn't matter. Because when we get before the great white throne judgment, you're going to have to answer for that when the books are opened. He sees the intentions of our hearts. Verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. So let me tell you guys a story. Uh, I was at work and my manager came up to me. He goes, hey, Josh. He was so excited. Josh, I just, I hired this brand new trainer and you're really going to like him. He's like super religious because that's how people know me. I'm the religious guy. Like, you know, he loves it. I'm all cool, right? And he goes, yeah, he has a, a degree in pastoral ministry and studies. And I'm all, oh, that's awkward because I teach a Bible study at work. And I'm all, man, this guy's going to come in. He's going to take my ministry. He knows more than me. He knows the verses. Like, he has a degree. He has all this knowledge. And me, like, you know, I got like a 3.0 in high school. Not bad. I was the guy that's like, yeah, man, C minus. Let's do this. I pass. Like, that was me. And this guy's got a degree? I can't, I can't compete with this guy. He had everything that I didn't have as though, as though I thought. I was intimidated. And he had everything on me except one thing. So as I observed him, just listening to him speak and interacting with people and just looking for the love of God, I started to notice that it wasn't quite there, the things that, you know, I know that are to be shown. So I go up to him and I say, hey, man, talking about, you know, we have lots of conversations about Scripture. He's really good in Scripture and all this stuff, and I'm not that good. But I go, hey, man, can you tell me, can I ask you a question? How do I get to heaven? If I had two minutes to live, like, how do I get to heaven? And he goes, well, you see, it's complicated. And I go, oh, it's complicated? I'm like, I got two minutes to live here, bro. Like, time's ticking. What do I got to do? I'm dying. And he's all, I just, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. I'm like, really? I mean, that's not very helpful to me right now. I'm bleeding out. He goes, you know what I mean? I just don't know. And I go, oh, man, don't you think that's important? Like, he expressed to me he wants to be a pastor and teach. I'm like, don't you think it's important that you're teaching the word of God, that you know how to teach them how the most important thing, which is how to get into the kingdom of heaven? He goes, yeah, I think so. I'm like, yeah. How about in three days, man, you come and you tell me, look it up, research, do I do? Let me know. Okay. Three days go by. Hey, man, how are you? Good. So did you think about my question? Yeah. What'd you find? He goes, I couldn't find anything, man. I'm like, really? The whole Bible, you couldn't find one thing on how to get to heaven. Oh my gosh. And I go, come here, man, let me share with you. So I, you know, I opened up my Bible, I share with him, saved by grace through faith and the finished work of the cross and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you shall be saved, right? And he gave his life, which was amazing. But I was intimidated by his knowledge, by his resume. On paper, there was no comparison. He blew me out of the water. There's no comparison. But someone can get up and teach the most educated study and have all the knowledge in the world, but it doesn't really help them at the end of the day if they're not going to get into heaven. Of course, it can benefit other people because God will use you in spite of you, but it's not going to help you get into heaven if you know all the things, if you don't believe it. He, I mean, you can know every single verse, every single red word in the Bible that Jesus specifically said, but if you don't believe it, how are you going to get into heaven? You're just speaking it. You just know it's just knowledge. 
You can know all about Jesus, but do you know Jesus? This is what he cares about. This part. Not this part. This part. He'll work on this later. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. So someone is walking by faith, walking with the Lord. They will trump someone that is walking by sight. They will trump someone with all the knowledge in the world because this person has the Lord on their side. They're tapped into the vine. They're tapped into the source where our power comes from. The first, the last, the beginning, the end, the alpha, the omega, that who's, that's who they have in their corner. The other person just has their brain if they're not saved by grace through faith. And I'll take that person walking by faith 11 times out of 10 over that person walking by sight because there's something supernatural that's bigger than us going on there. And you know, people ask me all the time, I mean, it's getting kind of old. Oh, where'd you go to seminary school? Where'd you go to school to learn how to preach, preach the word of God? And where'd you know, what did you degree? I'm like, I don't have any degree. And they'll give me that look like, well, you just lost all the credibility to me. I'm like, well, that's nice. I mean, that's not a bad thing. It's good to get foundational truths to learn those things from school. It's not a bad thing at all, right? But who are the apostles? Fishermen? Tax collectors? Did they go to school? No, but they walk by faith. They didn't walk by sight. They trusted in the Lord. And they proclaimed the truth. The only truth that I need is Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one that gives me the truth. He's the one that uses me. If it was based on my knowledge and my ability, man, you'd all be in trouble today because it would not go well. But thankfully, it's not. It's based on him. All faith to remove mountains. So here's something. Can't stand hearing this. Just a little bit of faith. Just give a little bit of faith. Just give in a little bit of faith. Give your money and God will bless you. Like I hear that on TV, on the radio, all the time. These people are just trying to trick you. If you give them money, give $50 in faith and the Lord will bless you financially. I'm sorry, where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the word of God? Where is that promise? I think I missed that one. God wants to bless you financially? Maybe. Maybe not. Blessed are the weak. Blessed are the poor. For their kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. That sounds pretty right. So I'm so over people using this faith to rip off God's children. People that have an earnest desire, that have a willingness to receive something from the Lord, to seek the Lord, and they're using it for their own selfish gain. It bothers me. Faith in what? Faith that you truly believe that God's going to bless you financially, that you're going to be set up someday? That God's going to add zeros to your bank account? I'm sorry, God doesn't care about adding zeros to your bank account. You know what he cares about? He cares about adding peace and joy and hope to your life. That's what he cares about. Those are the things we need to have faith in. Those are far greater than adding zeros. See, people relate having a certain amount of money with being safe and secure. So if I have this much money, then I'll have peace, then I'll have joy, then I'll have hope. No, that comes from the Lord. He gives us his joy. He gives us his hope. He gives us a peace that surpasses understanding, something that this world cannot give us. So we should take our faith away from that and put it into the word of God, put our faith in scripture and the promises that he tells us. We should have faith in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 29. Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. That's something we should have faith in. Everybody in here is exhausted. Everybody in here is tired of this world, of working. Take faith in the fact that you can go to Jesus and you can bring him your burden. You can bring him your struggle. You can bring him your exhaustion. And it says here, you will find rest for your souls. That's what I want to put my faith in. Not in my bank account, my savings account, my 401k. Have faith in John 4, 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. We're all troubled and afraid. We're scared we're not going to make it, that we're going to fail in life. But the scripture says he gives us peace, a peace that this world cannot give us. That's what we should have faith in, the peace that surpasses understanding, that comes only from the Lord, that the world cannot give us. Church, we should have faith in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have faith in your salvation through his name, not in the fact that if you give a certain amount, you're going to get blessed, or if you go to church, you're going to get to heaven, or if you have to get baptized, or all these rules and regulation that religion says you have to do to get into the kingdom. Have faith in what God says and what his word says, not in what man says. Without love, without God, it profits us nothing. We have to start there. We have to start with the love of God. I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Again, why are you giving so much to the poor? Why are you giving to charities? Why are you giving to the hungry? It's not bad. It's definitely not a bad thing to give. We're supposed to give, cheerfully. We're supposed to help other people with what God's given us. But what are we doing it for? Again, eyes like a flame of fire. He can see your heart. Who are we telling that we donate X amount of dollars every year to charity? Who are we telling that we tithe so much a year? Who are we telling of the great works that we do every day and praying for people and all the awesome things? Who are we telling? And what are we trying to accomplish by this? Are we sharing with those who are close to us because we're blessed truly by those experiences and we want to bless them? Or are we blowing the trumpet from the rooftops? Look at me. Look what I did. I gave so much money this year. Yay, Joshua. I prayed for a thousand people today. Oh my gosh, you're so holy. I can't believe it. Like, why are we doing these things? For us or for God? For self or for agape? That's what we have to recognize. Matthew 6, 2 says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. So again, don't do it to be seen in a certain light by those around you. Who are you trying to impress? Are you trying to impress God or you trying to impress man? You know, early on in my Christian walk, I was trying to impress man because I love when people give me praises. I, you know, that's a downfall of me. I love, I love being lifted up. Like, yeah, I prayed. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I helped pray for that kid to get healed with cancer. Yep, I did that. It's like, why am I doing that? That's terrible. 
But when you do charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who seems in secret will himself reward you openly. Do it out of love. That's a good challenge I've done. Seek the Lord daily. Okay, Lord, I want to walk in the works that you've set before me. Give me an opportunity to help someone today, to minister to someone today. When the opportunity arises, take it. You can feel it. You know what it feels like. Do it. Pray for them. Lift them up. And then don't tell anybody about it. It's tough. You just want to show it off. Not because you want to show off God's glory all the time, but because you want to show off what you did and how tapped into God you are and how spiritual you are. It's tough. Keep it to yourself, but at the same time, it's so special. That's just between you and God. Oftentimes, we're like, God, that was just for me and you. I'm just going to keep that one to myself. I'm going to keep that one to myself because that was a special moment. And it's going to lose it if I just go and tell everybody in the world it's not going to be as special. I want to keep it intimate between me and my Lord. So do it out of love, out of agape. I give my body to be burned. So I struggled with this this week. I was reading it over and over. I'm like, hmm, how does this apply to us? Giving my body to be burned. Because in America, we don't really get put on stakes and get burned for Jesus. Maybe not yet. Might be coming. You never know what's, what's happening in the world. But right now, it doesn't really apply to us. And I was struggling. And I read one thing about these cults that were teaching that if you don't die for Jesus, a martyr's death, then your life's not sacrificed. And I'm like, that doesn't seem to fit with what we're teaching. So that's that's just weird. We can talk about that later. You can look it up. But what I did come to terms with is maybe we don't have physical martyrs in our churches, but martyrdom is alive and well in our churches today. The false martyr syndrome. And it starts with our attitude, even in our lives, right? I don't know why it's become acceptable to complain about our work situations. Oh my gosh, I just, I just work so much. I work 60, 70 hours a week. I'm so exhausted. And what are we trying to do? We're, we're trying to get pity from people. We're trying to be seen again in a certain light, like, wow, you're such a hard worker. I'm sorry, we're supposed to work because we're supposed to provide for our families as men. That's why we're supposed to work. It's a blessing to work. You have 60 hours of, of work a week? Wow, that's amazing. That is a blessing from the Lord. That's not a burden. You have 70, 80 hours? Praise God you get to provide for your family. There's tons of people across our country that don't have jobs, that live off welfare, that aren't blessed with that kind of work, and yet we take it for granted. The martyr syndrome. Poor me. I work so much. I'm so tired. It's not good. Then we see it in our churches. I'm just so tired of serving. Oh my gosh, I, I just can't do it all. I can't teach on Tuesday at college and career and teach on Sunday at church this week and Wednesday at, at, at work and minister to these people and do this because I'm just so tired. I just, I just do so much. I just can't make it to church this week. I'm too burnt out. I'm just going to skip. And then what do we do? We go out to our house and we put on our football jersey. We dye our hair green and we put on makeup we go to the football game and, yeah, 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 go Packers or Lions or whoever. We're waiting in the line for 12, 14 hours for the new cell phone, iPhone to come out. I went to this new Star Wars movie release. There was a line around the entire building of people waiting to get into the Star Wars. 
I waited in line for eight hours to see this movie with my brother because I love him. But, uh, I mean, it was a good movie, but... And everybody's dressed up, you know. I mean, these people are hard. They got Darth Vader suits on. I mean, that's the only guy I really know. They got all these different costumes on. Where's that passion for God in our, in our churches? Where's that passion for the Lord and the things of the Lord? Right? We can go to concerts and get crazy and party and people go to Vegas or football games and scream and yell and lose their voice. But, oh, man, I just can't make it to church. I'm just so tired. I worked 60 whole hours this week. 60. And we complain because we think that we're suffering for the Lord. Oh my gosh, I'm just giving my life up so much up for the Lord. I can't believe it. I just need my time. I need a day off where I just do nothing. Like, oh. I'm not saying it to be rude because I do it too. You know, I've learned that this week very, very difficultly. The Lord showed me a lot. It's like, you know, Sometimes after church, I'm like, I just got to go check my fantasy football. Okay, am I going to win fantasy football? Okay, come on, Johnny. You're going over today. You got to go check the score. Like, where's that passion for the Lord, Joshua? You didn't even want to come to church today because you didn't want to get up. You're too tired, but you just can't wait to go watch the, the Monday night game. Right? So our priorities are out of order. So we can martyr ourselves for lots of things in our lives, but... If it's not for God and it's not for love and it's not for the right reasons, it profits us nothing. So we'll finish here in Matthew seven twenty-two through 23. The Bible says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done away or done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you practice lawlessness. I think that's like, fits perfect with what we just read. Right? Many people are going to die and go to heaven and say, Lord, I cast out demons. Lord, I prayed for all these people. Lord, I taught your word. Lord, I did all these. And he's just like, who are you? I don't even know you. You did it for you. You didn't do it for me. You didn't do it for my namesake. You didn't do it for my son. You didn't do it for my glory. You did it so you could be raised up, so you could be lifted up high. So people would know your name and know who you are in your area. Who are you? And it's sad that that's going to happen to some of us. So the title of my message today is, what kind of church do you go to? Right? Are we a church of, like Church of Corinth? Are we a spiritually gifted church that is exercising gifts all crazy and living out of order our own personal lives as well? Or are we a godly church? Are we a church that exhibits the love of God, that unconditional love, that sacrificial love that he displayed in the cross for us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Is that the love we show people? When people come into our church that have never been here before, do they feel that love? Or do they feel that they just don't fit in? That they're separate? Because they're not here on a regular basis that they don't click? Do they see clicks forming? Do they see groups forming? Separation of worship team and separation of teachers and young and old? Like, is it is that the kind of church we have? Or do we have a church that models the love of God? Because that's the kind of church that we're called to have. Amen? All right, let's pray. Dear Father, we just thank you for this message, Lord, in this section, and um, just the check that it is in our heart, Lord, to convict us just so we can 
see our intentions, that you would reveal it to us that we are doing these things not for our own gain, Lord, not to be seen in a certain light by other people or by other leaders or whoever it is in our, our lives, Lord, but that we do it solely out of the gratitude of what you've done for us on the cross through your Son, Lord. That we would serve you cheerfully and joyfully and not as a resentment, Lord. That serving you would not be a burden. That our heart would not be that we got to serve you, Lord, but that we get to serve you. That we get to come to church on Sundays, Lord. That we get to study your word. That we get to help out with children's ministry. That we get to pray for the church. That we get to teach the study. That we get to minister to J19. That we get to be in your presence. Because that's what your church is about, Lord, your presence. And I pray that this week that you would just show us more of your presence. That you would come upon us. That you would minister to us. And that you would just teach us the love of God. In Jesus' name, amen.